The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop logging internal secrets and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 103 with guests Chris Anderson, Steve Cellini, Carter Maslin, Karsten Janaszewski, Jeff Sanquist, and Tim Sneed, recorded live Friday, March 4th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VBNet, ASPNet, and C-Sharp classes online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the guy who wishes he thought of the whole mustache thing, freaking genius, Carl Franklin! Howdy, 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 this is Carl Franklin, he's in a .NET Rocks, podcasting almost live from New London, Connecticut, on the east coast of the United States. And the West Coast.NET Rocks department tonight, Richard Campbell, my co-host. How are you, sir? I'm very well, sir, and in a bright and shiny place. It's uh, much nicer in Vancouver than it is over on the East Coast, I hear. Yeah, it's a little weathery, yucky, kind of snowy slushy here. We had record high temperatures yesterday. Uh, I'm not even going to say <laughs> what I'm thinking, man. That sucks. I spent most of my day on the tarmac. Oh, yeah, you've been traveling all day. We keep IMing each other as you get from one airport to the next. And you know what's annoying as hell? When when you go into an airport uh, and you get to the gate and you know how you, you, you're looking around for an outlet because there's only like two outlets in the whole gate area, right? If that. Some of them don't even have outlets. And so you're sitting in there and there's only one. And there's some guy right next to it who's on the phone. He isn't even using it, but he's plopped himself down right in front of it. And he's on the phone, so you can't, like, go up to him and interrupt him and say, dude, can you scoot over just a minute so I can, you know, there's nobody else in the place. So I'm sitting there, not able to get online, watching this guy talk on the phone and, and using, you know, sign language and hand language and all this other stuff. And I just didn't have the guts to or the heart to yeah. interrupt him. The trick is to hold the power cord like it's a garage. <laughs> Generally, I find people get away from me when I do that. Yikes. So, well, hey, how did that user group thing go? It was great, actually. Um, the more user groups I do for uh, Netta, uh, user group talks, and uh, for the you know 9% nine, 9 or 9 people listening who don't know what that's all about, 
the International .NET Association, which is uh, uh, an independent organization that helps user groups, and they get money from Microsoft to pay for speakers like Richard and I to go around and talk to user groups, .NET user groups, all over the U.S., some all over the world. And, uh, and they pay our T&E if we decide to go speak. And so I went down to the Virginia.NET users group and, uh, in Richmond, uh, Roanoke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not Richmond, Roanoke, in Roanoke, Virginia. So that was a good group, and I got there. And lately it's been – I've been hearing this a lot. I've been hearing, you know, I just started listening to .NET Rocks. The 100th show was my first show. I, I swear to God there's like this whole new generation of listeners out there who started with show number 100. And I, for some reason, maybe because it, it was short. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't really short, was it? It turned out to be like an hour and a half. Or, yeah, or, it was not that short a show. Actually, it was closer to two hours, come to think of it. Well, okay, forget about that idea. But I don't know, maybe it's because it was funny and there was no content. Maybe that's what it was. Ah, all right. That sounds reminds me of another show we do. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that was a fun show. And welcome if you're a new listener. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. So what's your week been like, man? I've had a pretty interesting week. I actually sat in and listened to a session done by uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Storgard, who works at the Vancouver Microsoft office. He's doing this interop session that was developed by uh, our friends, uh, Ted Neward and uh, Michelle Bustamante. Very interesting session. I'm going to get a chance to present in a couple of weeks. So I wanted to see how uh, Ryan handled it. And uh, they're showing some compelling stuff about uh, making things uh, interoperate between the Java and .NET worlds. And it happens to be that Vancouver has uh, one of the major companies involved in the whole thing, a company called um, um, Intersys. I think I probably mispronounced the name. Anyway, they make a product that used to be called Janet. Mm. And uh, it's wrappers around uh, both .NET code and around uh, EJB, uh, Enterprise Java Bean, so they mm. can interoperate. So wow. one of their engineers came in and uh, demonstrated some of their products. That's really cool when you get to see an interop demo like that that really works because, you know, we've been talking about interop and, you know, there's lots and lots of slideshow kind of talks on it. But you rarely get to see it done with two computers actually connected together and interoperating. You know, and something live. that Ted and Michelle really did well in these samples, and kudos to them, is show the warts in the whole process. You can always make right. a demo that works perfectly. What they did was they showed, you know, your typical starting assumptions, yeah. which are wrong, and right. it doesn't work. Right. And so then you try this to fix it, and it doesn't work. And it's like a six- or eight-step iteration before you finally find that point where these things actually interoperate the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Anyway, it was a very complicated and long uh, presentation. Uh, Ryan really was a trooper getting through it all. We had a big audience. There was about 150 people there, and uh, about a third of them were Java guys. They'd invited wow. the Java user groups as well to uh, to uh, take a look, and it was a, it was remarkably civil. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We're going to have Michelle on here sometime in the future, although I know she's booked way out, but we have her in the summer or something, right, to talk about this? Don't we? Yeah, we we were talking about it with her. I, I think it's going to be way out, and in a few months we'll talk about it. But I definitely want to get back to this because I'm really impressed with the material that she and Ted put together. It's a real honest demonstration of it. And Michelle's, you know, in an interesting position, being I know a, a, having a close relationship with uh, BEA, one of the Java providers, as well as working with Microsoft. Right, right. And she is a regional director too. She is indeed. Well, uh, the other thing I did this yeah, week that's kind of odd is I yes last night I did a presentation at one of the local schools on internet safety for kids. Yeah, you were talking about I, this before. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned it last week, and I actually did the talk. Now I had quite a few parents there, 
And, you know, everybody's got a broadband connection. So there was, it we went long. I went two hours because I had so many questions. Wow. And uh, talking about everybody's setups, I, I was insisting, you know, you've got to go get a NAT router. You right. need a NAT router. Right. And uh, talking about different service packs and uh, a lot of software, configuring Google to restrict uh, to more polite content. And plus looking at some of the search engines that kids should be using, like Yahooligans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great session. I had a, got a good time doing it. I'm going to polish it up some more, do it a few more times. And uh, Microsoft Canada's expressed some interest in uh, handing the content out to the RDs and doing it in a, in a wider area. Hey, did you by any chance uh, talk about Dan Appleman's book on the subject? You know, I didn't, and that's a great idea. I should bring that up because he, of course, focuses more on the teen level stuff rather than the little kids. But you know what, though? He, it's a misnomer. I mean, that book is good for anybody. It's good for anybody. Really? I yeah. got to read it. Yeah. In fact, he told me that's why it, it really didn't sell all that well. They did great press stuff, and it got a lot of great press. But uh, it didn't sell it well because, um, you know, for most teenagers would think it was over their head. And it, it really is a book for anyone on Internet security. And he just... You know, he works with teens, and he thought that might be a good angle, but uh, it's a great book. It's a great book. Anyway. Fabulous idea. Yeah. And speaking of fabulous ideas, I, I do want to get uh, started and talking to our guests because I'm really excited about this show. But before I do, I want to throw out an idea to you and to all the listeners that, uh, that I had today. It's not a new idea, but, it, you know, everything when I decide to do something, it's new to me. So the idea is to uh, for us to do a a broad geek interest podcast in the morning, which is not a, uh, you know, sort of a bantery thing like .NET Rocks is, but more like a short um, laundry list of items that are in the blogs and in the news, you know, the kinds of things that you go to um, slash dot for, uh, the kind of of things that uh, geeks would be interested in, and not just .NET geeks, but geeks of all kinds. And a sort of a, you know, 15 or 20 minute podcast just on, you know, the stuff that you can listen to on the way to work before you actually sit down at the computer and start surfing around. So if there's anything really interesting going on, we'll alert you to it. And I thought that might be a good thing to do every day, Monday through Friday. And I know it's a big yeah, commitment. Like a, like a morning newscast, like really, morning, for geeks. Like a morning newscast. But instead of interview and commentary, which is a lot of what we do here, this would be sort of just, you know, a straight sort of... You know, here's what's going on today. More like some really quick uh, soundbite almost uh, laundry list of of places to check out on the web today. You know, things that are going on. So I thought that I might think be it's good. a fabulous idea. Yeah, it, it would be good. And I plan on uh, being an early riser here pretty soon anyway. I'm going to actually change my schedule all around. And, and instead of staying up late at night and driving everybody crazy, I'm going to get up early in the morning and drive everybody crazy. So I thought I might be able to do that. I'd like to hear your comments. Uh, send them to .NET Rocks at franklins.net if you have any ideas. That said, got anything else before we uh, introduce the guests? Oh, let's not hold them back anymore because I know they're just barely restrained. I know. It's going to be a scary show. Yes, it is. So this week on .NET Rocks, we have Chris Anderson, a developer extraordinaire and uh, code monkey to Donbox. I'm sorry. At uh, the PDC, <laughs> but that's another thing. Uh, from Microsoft and members of the platform technical evangelism team who are working on Longhorn and WinFX clients. Steve Cellini, Carter Maslin, Karsten Janiszewski, Jeff Sandquist, and Tim Sneath. Welcome, guys. Thank Howdy. you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. 
Now, Steve, you've been on. Carter's been on. Jeff's been on. Uh, Tim has not. Carson has not. And Chris, yeah, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. It's good to have you all here. Oh, no, no. No, I have an issue to bring up first okay. before we dive in. <laughs> you've been claiming you were going to get me on this show for about two years now. Right. Every time I see you, you're like, hey, I want to get you on .NET Rock. Right. You never call. You never write. Uh, that's not true, man. <laughs> I, blo- I I left comments on your blog a couple of times because I didn't have your email address. Okay. So. That, mm, yeah, Chris Ann, that's that's hard to figure out. It's at the top of my webpage. I'm sorry. You know, I, I, it really is a, a total sham because, you know, it's not like I've got a list a mile long and I'm sitting there saying, nope, nope, nope. It's just like a pain in the ass to schedule all these people all the time. So usually they come to me. That's why. That's what happens. So, sorry, man. That's okay. I was too busy being a code monkey anyway, so, you know. <laughs> I got to say, even though that was a while ago, that was one of the funnest PDCs that I've ever experienced. That was really fun. That was a blast. I, I, uh, I definitely, as I tell everybody, if you ever have the opportunity to launch a new platform in front of 8,000 developers, <laughs> take the opportunity and do it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys want to talk about these days? Longhorn, WinFX? Yeah, we we could talk about that stuff. Avalon, what's I've heard about that um, stuff? Or do we just have to go read your blogs? <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, uh, we talked about Longhorn. When was the .NET Rock show when we talked about Longhorn last? Oh, geez, uh, it April. was it was a few months April. ago. Yeah. Well, we we could give you a little bit of update on uh, Longhorn and WinFX. Uh, sure. Put the overview quick. Uh, and the uh, last time we talked, and and at the last PDC you guys were talking about, we we showed you a version of Longhorn, and that was really. Um, Two, two conversations. One was about the new operating system, and then there was also a conversation that we spent most of the time on, which was the, the new platform, mm-hmm. Indigo, WinFS, and Avalon. And then last August, as you know, we sort of made a change to that plan, right. separate out the operating system from the platform. Yeah. Now, the operating system, Longhorn, and the platform, WinFX, are still on the same schedule. They're going to ship at the same time in lockstep. But uh, the the big thing was that the platform now would go down level. At the last PDC, you know, if you want to use the platform, you use the you, know, you you also had to use the operating system Longhorn. Now this platform is going to go down level to XP Windows Server 2003. That was one big change, and you know, most of the people we talked to were you know, very very happy about that because it meant that they could use Avalon, for instance, um, on XP. And then another change is that WinFS got pulled out of that initial wave. So WinFS is still in the game. Um, but it'll come around a little bit later. Um, and this sort of gave them more time to come up with a, a more comprehensive story. The, the story they told at the PDC was mostly a client story, and now the story they're working on now is a client and server story. Okay. So that, that in a nutshell, is, is really what's happened since the last time we talked, since the last PDC. Mm-hmm. I, I was at the announcement at the in August, and I remember thinking, you know, if I was running an IT shop and somebody was confronting me with a new uh, file system, and you're only going to provide it for my workstations, I'd be pretty nervous, too. I'd much rather have it available for everything before I consider putting it in. Yeah, the client and server side. Yeah, I think they have to go together. And and that was, so the change we made, it was a difficult change to make. You know, at the last PDC, we were sure about, you know, that, that you know, having this operating system, this platform, shipping it this, you know, as one, more or less. But we got a lot of positive feedback, even though it was a difficult change to make, you know. Hey, the WinFS story will be a more complete story now. Get it, you know. We'd rather see it when it's more complete. Right. A lot of people said, you know, it'd be pretty cool to see it, you know, just on the client sooner rather than later. Um, and then the fact that 
you know, Avalon and Indigo would go down level was a, a big deal too. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a huge bonus for uh, for developers. We're going to get a chance to get our hands into that sooner. The uh, and the story for WinFS essentially was network support, right? When you say server side, you really mean inter- interacting. When you when you want to uh, do a search, you want to search across all of the drives that you're connected to as well. No, that that uh, that scenario was there, but it okay. was more like if if I was programming on the second tier. You know, I, would I use different APIs than the than the data APIs that okay. Manifest was offering me on the client? Yeah. I mean, isn't that a little bit weird? And you know, is it a different data model? Is it different APIs? Do I see things in the old, you know, in the traditional SQL way, or do I see things more like items as WinFS was offering to me on the client? Hmm. It was really, you know, part of the story. I got you. And, you know, having a having a a model where the API, the object model, the way items are viewed, have be have that be cross the the client and and server tiers would be a good thing. Is it uh, is it tough to be a Longhorn evangelist these days? Well, I, I think you know the the Longhorn, the, you know the cow jokes. They still happen every once in a while. <laughs> and um, you know, I you know the 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 Longhorn license plate. You know that gets a little bit of attention now and then. Uh-huh. Um, how about how about the rest of you guys, the other evangelists here? Is it, is it tough being an evangelist? Well, it's just been review time, and we just don't want to just say that it's easy being an evangelist. It's yeah. hard work. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Hard. It reminds me of the uh, the presidential debates. It's hard work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't, don't go there. Don't go. <laughs> uh, the, the August reset with Longhorn was tough because, you know, we, we had we had been working with a lot of ISVs very closely and, and to say, you know, we made a change in the plans. That was tough to do. Yeah. But the, the, the feedback, like I said, was almost unanimously, this is a great change. We'd rather see this stuff go down level and so forth. To to uh, what level did the security story impact uh, the the development of Longhorn, the security uh, SP2? There's definitely some stuff there. I mean, we've we've spent a, a lot of time on trying to uh, uh, ensure that Longhorn is is you know the most stable and secure uh, platform around. So uh, one of the things that uh, Longhorn now um, is is based on is is the Windows uh, Server 2003 uh, Service Pack One code base. So we've basically taken all the innovations that were in uh, Windows XP Service Pack Two, everything that then came into Windows Server 2003. So it's kind of building on everything that's gone before and then adding uh, a bunch of new stuff so, cool. so the goal is really to is, is, is to make it a, a really really solid secure uh, operating system and, and and just build in those things and this is sir tim talking here right now yeah we should probably <laughs> that was sir tim where are the okay. trumpets i thought we asked for trumpets <laughs> and we were talking to steve before right that was steve sorry we should introduce ourselves that this, this is steve okay uh certainly sp2 you know took a you know will take a resource hit a time hit a resource hit i, I think we've said that publicly yeah a, Pretty pretty big deal for everybody, but you know that was a while ago. SP two, the you know when we were at the last PDC in October two thousand three, we were in the throes of SP two for sure. Right, right. Cool. Okay, so so what uh, the so you went from the the uh, pillars of Longhorn in the platform to the the features and what uh, let's just replay that story for the listeners. What what kinds of things are we going to be able to see as developers? In terms of tools, you know, on, on what kind of schedule? Like, what's going to be first? SDKs or, you know, things that we can play with, like Avalon or... Chris, do you want to talk about the November Avalon CTP? 
Yeah, sure. So this is Chris Anderson. I'm a. Uh, I, I'm, I'm honored that you called me a developer because most of the devs on my team have started to uh, refer to me as a management overhead. <laughs> so it's exciting to uh, still see still see some people consider that. Um, but so we released in uh, November, we released a uh, community technology preview of Avalon. And basically what we did there is after the uh, August announcement, um, we worked as basically as hard as we could um, to get a build out as soon as we could effectively. Um, it was, we announced publicly the August, the Longhorn changes almost externally as soon as we did internally as well. We really wanted to be upfront with people and tell them what was going on there. And so, uh, the November release was really our first major uh, milestone of where we got Avalon up and running on XP builds, and it got to a stability point where we could get it out to customers. We really wanted to get that out as soon as possible, and so that, that's been out. And then I think it was uh, January, Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, that we um, uh, moved that from being just a kind of MSDN uh, and, and uh, PDC attendee sort of thing to a broadly available, um, downloadable build of it. Um, and and up, upcoming here pretty soon, we're going to be releasing another uh, CTP, the March CTP, which is uh, kind of our uh, just at a refresh of those same bits with a bunch of new uh, features and changes to it. And that'll and, also include Indigo, which is the big thing. Okay. Yep. So yeah, this will be the first CTP for Indigo, and it'll be based on, I believe, the uh, uh, Beta Two build. Is that correct? Okay. Steve, of the the Woodby bits. Of the Actually, no. It'll be based on what's known as called oh, the this P is Carson here called the February CTP build of Whidbey. So it's not the official Whidbey two build. It's a kind of interim build between Whidbey beta one and Whidbey beta two. Okay. And that was Carson, right? And that just went live to MSDN subscribers today, okay. and will go more public. In a, in a little bit here. All right, I, I want to come back to Indigo because that's gonna. I'm really interested in that. But before we leave uh, Avalon, um, the the Avalon uh, stuff that's coming out. Let's just uh, recap for because it, it's been a while since we've had our heads around Longhorn, at least up around here. Um, the Avalon stuff is the the graphics engine, but not necessarily the the 3D compositing stuff. That's Arrow, right? What's well, the What's the difference? So, so Avalon Avalon's so. The way I like to think about it is the, the the Indigo and Avalon, basically, Indigo lets you build software that talks to software. Avalon lets you build software that talks to people. And so all of the bits on your screen are really... <laughs> Chris, do you want a job over here? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so all the pixels you see on the screen are really Avalon. So bits. Avalon is all the UI. Um, but there is a distinction, which is in the PDC build, you saw a bunch of this... Um, a new window manager for Longhorn, which was this glass look with 3D effects to the windows themselves. Right, right, right. And now that is still a Longhorn feature. That is separate. That they okay. they use some shared technology from Avalon, but it's it's not the bits that run on the the um, on XP are a new visual runtime. Uh, in the March CTP build that you get, there will be 3D effects and you can uh, you know, project 2D stuff into 3D space and things like that, but you're not going to get a new window manager for uh, XP. And that's what Arrow is, right? Yeah, moving forward, Arrow is the shell for, for Longhorn. So that's the, okay. the kind of radical new UI that uh, people saw in, in the PDC. And I guess probably right. in the PDC we weren't really clear as to the difference between Avalon and Aero. And that's and why I'm confused. Yeah. But at that time, of course, they were all shipping together anyway, so why would you 
so it almost didn't didn't really matter. But uh, but you know, it's 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 probably important now as as we have Avalon and 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 Zaml as part of that uh, technology release available down level that we we draw the distinction there. Aero is the shell for for Longhorn. That's you know one of the many new things. Um, in Longhorn that will, uh, okay. will be, be make Longhorn a great uh, upgrade. I got it. Um, and uh, Avalon and, and XAML being the, the uh, object uh, uh, persistence, object graphing sort of uh, uh, language for, for building Avalon or indeed some other objects uh, is, is, is really the, the distinction there. And and uh, you know I hate for being I hate to come back to fundamentals and stuff, but uh, you know as, as I said, it's been a while and there's probably a lot of listeners who haven't checked this out yet. Um, the the thing that I was talking to Kate Gregory about, and and I find having a hard time wrapping my mind around, is that the uh, you know when this thing ships, when when Longhorn ships, there's basically going to be a hundred percent managed code implementation of the Windows API. Is this right? Let's uh, uh, Avalon is a hundred percent managed. Yes. All right, Avalon. Well, well, well so, so uh, I, I, I have to, I have yeah, to so give, tell me what's going, <laughs> give some really more going on details here. that most people yeah, don't yeah, care about. Um, so I think there's a really big distinction that you want to draw, which is one is what's the developer view of the platform, right. and the other is what's the underlying implementation. Cool. Because I think when you think about things like like Avalon, like Indigo, like uh, uh, User32, like GDI, like right. all of these things, you really have this this two different views, right? So you can look at something like Windows Forms, which enables you to target the user32 code base and build up graphical UIs, right? Yeah. And when we built Avalon, we started, instead of starting from user32 and GDI and things like that, we really looked at building a much deeper new uh, technology. And so we went down to basically DirectX as our low-level piece. And so... You know, on top of DirectX, we have a bit of unmanaged code that does that does our composition engine, so kind of the low-level bit twiddling down there. And then yeah. on top of that, we have you know the vast majority of the code that makes Avalon is all managed code. Okay. And if you look at you know Indigo, it's it's much the same way, where the vast majority of their code is all managed. Um, the key thing, though, is that for both platforms the developer experience is wholly managed. So right. the only developer experience on those platforms is managed code. Right, right. So when you create a graphics object, let's say, in a .NET 1.1 application, you're really using the frameworks wrappers around the pinvoke uh, stuff, you know, creating a device context and all that. But when you're using Avalon, would you create a graphics object in Avalon? Like, would it be the same developer experience, or is there a new API? Um, there is a new API, uh, but the developer experience is very similar. Um, okay. You know, I actually used to work on the Windows Forms team, and we, we share a lot of kind of we've had a, a principle of trying to kind of the way we say is leverage the developers of the platform. We really want you to be able to, if you programmed Windows Forms, you'll be able to walk up to Avalon and just use it. Right. In fact, we, you know, we do a lot of work to make sure the two things are interoperable. Cool. Um, and we really, you know, they, they should, they're just as similar as possible. Okay, I guess similar as they could be. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So the developer experience is pretty similar, but you're obviously not wrapping that using p invoke. And well, right, it's just, right. It's, it's, it's interesting. So everything's a shade of gray, right? When you get right. down to the okay. details. So Windows Forms. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the Visual Studio 2005 the, or the .NET 2.0 version of Windows Forms. But they have a bunch of new controls in there, like the new data grid view and the tool strip. And if you look at the way that they implemented those, they actually are 
100% managed versions of a you know whole new data grid stack and a whole new toolbar and a menuing infrastructure, and all of that's written on managed code. Hmm. And they're still creating at the underlying level some a, a bit of user 32 code, right. but they have a lot of new technology in there. But a lot less is what you're or saying. A lot, well, a lot of new technology with a lot less dependencies on unmanaged code. Got it. And it sounds like the average mortal developer is never going to get anywhere near that deep down. No, no. The average mortal developer, from the, what they see, ever since .NET 1.0, they see a managed view of the platform. And that's what they see, right? Yeah. So that means all of the, the Win32 API is going to get caught up in, this, uh, in, in the proper managed environment? That's the plan, yeah. I guess, what, I guess the reason that I brought it up and why I'm so interested is because if I'm running like sol.exe, solitaire, right, or something that's obviously user32 on, let's say, Longhorn, you know, somewhere a Windows API call has to be handled, and and what is going to handle that? Is there going to be is is user thirty two going to run in some environment where, you know, or is it going to be completely rewritten? Uh, you know what I mean? Well, you know, we really feel that Solitaire is the premier application <laughs> for Longhorn. No, no. I thought it was Notepad. It is by far the most used application in Windows, and we just, we're going to do huge innovations in Solitaire. Um, actually, if you Did go, you see Rory's post uh, on Notepad? <laughs> oh, no, I've already, we've already written a new Notepad, and it rocks, let me tell you. It can render text like nobody's business. Yeah, he Rory, Rory did a post where he broke... Uh, Broke oh, protocol no. and showed a new notepad for Longhorn, and, and it had a, 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 sh- a drop shadow under the icon. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he's gotten in some trouble for that. We, uh, we reported him to evangelism. <laughs> they... Leaking secrets. Yeah, that's uh, going back to the posting corporate secrets on their blog. Um, <laughs> we're going to prevent that in the future. No, actually, if you go to cellsbrothers.com, uh, uh, Chris right. Sell's website, yep. he actually did a very cool version of uh, Solitaire using Avalon, showing off some of the new vector uh, effects and things like that that you can do. It's uh, pretty, very cool. Okay, so what? So getting back to the question, what happens underneath when I run a obviously unmanaged program in Longhorn? It runs the exact same code it used to run. Okay. So Longhorn is 100% compatible with every previous version of, of Windows, right? I mean, it's, it's as compatible as XP was with Windows 2000. I mean, we, we are adding new features to the platform. We're not going and taking things away. I, I know, but no. is User32 rewritten from the bottom no. down at no, all? No, not at all. No. Okay. That's actually why we, I mean, in some ways, why we had to create Avalon was because you can't go and rewrite user 32 and have any hope of okay thank you thank you for clearing this up for me because i've been losing sleep over this i actually had the impression that you guys were totally rewriting the windows api so that it you could call it with the same you know code could run binary code and then there would be some sort of magic hooks in there where managed code took over instead of the actual implementation that, Which I just that's, find that's a horrible idea. I found it really hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that a horrible? idea? I mean, that's like that basically is, that an, a horrible idea. That's I an would, interpreted. I would, uh, I would not recommend that. Interpreted OS. Yeah, it would. It would be zippy. It would be. Uh, <laughs> I actually saw a version of uh, the Mac OS. I think it was like eight shell written in DHTML. No, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I wouldn't run that either. So. All right, cool. Thanks. All right, so uh, on to, on to uh, Indigo. Yeah, so this is Karsten here. And I think the, uh, the thing to say about Indigo is that 
those guys or that that aspect of the platform has not seen anything new since PDC 2003. Yeah. So with Avalon, you had the PDC, but then for MSDN subscribers, there was a WinHEC build and 3D was added. And then this past November, there was another build where there's new features added and tweaks happening. And so there's there's been incremental updates for those that are, you know, trying to stay on top of um, of what we're doing over here in Redmond. Uh, the Indigo team, they've been kind of dark since 2003. And so this is really exciting that in uh, just a few weeks, we'll see the March CTP release of Indigo, and developers will have in their hands the latest and greatest bits of Indigo, and we'll start to be able to wrap their heads around uh, what we've been up to here in Redmond. Hey, um, I just want uh, to cut in for just a second. Uh, if you guys go to uh, shrinkster.com slash 440, that's 44 orangutan, you'll actually get um, that wonderful dynamic HTML Mac OS 8 really? horrible, horrible, horrible thing that's absolutely terrifying. So, But that's all. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. I know about Indigo is it's supposed to replace all of the different ways that software uh, talks to software uh, with with one universal API, right? One ring to bind them all. <laughs> I don't know if I'd necessarily make that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it definitely is about unification. The way I'd really put it is if you look at um, Microsoft and what we've released as far as distributed computing technologies, even if you look at, you know, forget some of the things we did in the unmanaged stack, in the managed stack, we had a number of them, whether it was .NET remoting, whether it was ASP.NET web services, whether it was things like system.messaging or um, enterprise services. And, and you know, we, we forced developers to make choices and to, to, oh, well, I'm going to choose .NET remoting instead of ASMX, or I'm going to choose enterprise services instead of something else. And what um, Indigo is about is, you know, at a real 
tactical level, all of those teams are in one building under one person and building a common a common framework. And it truly does bring all those together. So it's less about making choices than about a, a, a common framework. The other thing that Indigo is very much about is if you look at those other four technologies, they, they each had pros and cons, and they each had um, – where you know some of them abstracted you away from the underlying technologies such that you you couldn't get at certain things that you may have wanted to as developers and and other of those technologies that perhaps got you too much into the weeds than you, than you necessarily wanted yeah. one of the core kind of um tenants of the indigo framework is that you plug in where you want to plug in and you're really able to um either get very close to the metal and override um, how how your your applications interact, or you can take advantage of a very powerful programming model that really abstracts you from a lot of things that you may not want to be dealing with, like um, cryptography, like security, like transactions. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's that's what this is about. Okay, okay. so I know I'm the Indigo guy. I know all I care about is blinking lights. And this is this is Chris Anderson. Okay. And, uh, but I have to say, I, I think Indigo is much simpler than that, right? It's the new comm, right? It's about building modular software and having services that can communicate. The rest of the stuff is the details of the plumbing, right? When I hear somebody say it's the new comm, why do I get a <laughs> shiver? And there's silence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, we're all shivering. Av- Chris, you're the Avalon guy. What's going on over here? Yeah. I thought you were the Avalon guy. So I had this opportunity. So I, I took this long drive. I went up to a conference, and I took this long drive, and I, I spent a bunch of hours with Dawn on the way home. And we were chatting in the car, and we were talking about how Avalon and Indigo really are these two halves of this equation of how you're building this stuff. And it's really this, you know, Indigo is giving you this way of, of, of modularizing your software. And basically it's something that, you know, we tried to do with Calm, but it was, Calm was much too complex and had many too, many, way too many rules about how it represented stuff binary and memory. And it didn't use any sort of protocols or standards that you could go in a reasonable way across machine boundaries or anything like that, right? So we kept kind of bootstrapping it and doing DCOM and all these other things. And really Indigo is this attempt to look back at it and go, well, what's the right place to put these boundaries, where to put messages and how to have services work? And then there's a bunch of protocol goo in there, like the fact that, yeah, you can just slap a transaction in and security and all that other stuff. But really, that's the protocol goo. It's not the the fundamental thing is modular software, right, and service orientation. Okay. So I don't know. That's, yeah, that's, okay. No, I get it. When from, I, from a UI guy, that's what I think about it. Yeah, I, I guess I think about components just in general in in that way now with Framework 1.1. So it's like components plus plus or on steroids or however you want to say that, right? Yeah, it's it's taking the stuff we did with Wizzy and with Azimax and things that we got started in .NET and with enterprise services and, and really coming up with a rational way of programming those things. I, I guess that's the thing that's coming to mind the most as an as an anal as an analog or an analogy is a stream, you know, where a stream is a sort of a generic interface for I/O. But, yeah. But the goo underneath is what you know what really makes things happen. Is that yeah. is that sort of a good analogy? I think that's a pretty good analogy, and it's it's well, it's the stream for arbitrary components in, the, in your system. Yeah, and one of the things that that they pick up quite nicely is. Uh, .NET Remoting has this notion of channels, where you where you can have you know your the component flows through different channels and things happen 
to it as it flows through that channel. And that metaphor is very much picked up by indigo, so that you, as your message, as it were, needs to go through a different channel to plug in its security or its reliability or its serialization and deserialization, you, as we're talking about components, you add channels as you want to add them. And if you need more channels, you add more channels. And as you don't need, you don't. And that, that model is, is at the heart of Indigo, where as, a, as an architecture developer, you, you have the kind of power to, to add those channels or not, depending on your scenario. Now, I don't expect you to recite code, but how would the code look? I mean, you know, in architecturally for something like that, if I wanted to plug in a channel, is it done through inheritance, through interfaces, through attributes, all the above? The attribute model is is the main one that that Indigo is very interested in. And then, but they also have a config model that's very powerful too. So I'd say attributes and config are the two, Hmm. the two main ways that this gets, this happens. So, for instance, one thing that's really nice is that you can you can attribute something, and when when you combine these two, where you you have the ability to say I want security, and then at the config level you can make changes very you know uh, dynamically as to what security model you're using. So, are you using Windows security because you're in an internet environment, or are you using you know X509 security? And your code doesn't change because you're just plugging in different security models. Do we have plenty of UI to write those, read and write those config files? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me you have UI. I don't think man. it's their problem. It, well, I, I hate mean, I don't config know, files, it, Carson. Man. If you know, well, I just know that on Wizzy 3.0 for WIDBY timeframe, they've got great config file editors for all of the policy related stuff around Wizzy messages. This yeah. is Carter speaking. Do you know whether they've got similar kind of instrumentation on on the plate for? I Indigo? yeah, I mean, I've seen. I, I don't. I can't speak to the final product plans. I've seen some really nice prototypes, and um, and so we'll see. Yeah. So I mean, management sure is top of mind for those guys. This is the real reason you guys have rewritten Notepad, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so I, I just don't want to make any promises here, but I know no, management no, I, is top of mind. I know. Sure. I know that you guys are really doing a lot with configurators configuration UI. so And it looks really good in Widby, by the way. Yeah, the ASP.NET stuff is really nice. Oh, man. Sweet. Uh, hey, Jeff. Hey there. Not, not uh, Jeff, our Jeff, but Jeff Sandquist. What's up with the mustache thing, man? Come clean. Uh, I don't know. I was uh, trying to see if anybody besides my mom reads my weblog and was pleasantly surprised this morning when I made a post last night. I'm trying to decide, you know, I've got a mustache. I've had one since I was 16 and, uh, never shaved it. looks a little bit too old. So I put a post to see if I should, uh, cut it off. My wife wants me to keep it and put a picture up and lo and behold, I guess I got more than six people that read my weblog and they're all voting on whether I should uh, take it off or not. And what's the, uh, what's the consensus? It's scary. <laughs> First of all, it's scary that people are uh, <laughs> commenting, but I'd say about 80-90% think I should just get over it and cut it off if the 70s are over. Oh, you know, man. Jeff, it seems to me that uh, the moustache is actually perhaps one of your most popular blog entries ever. So, uh, you know, perhaps <laughs> people are actually saying you know, they want to see a moustache blog. I've never seen yeah. any moustache blogs anywhere. There's some guy has started a, a um, actually a group of people that are webloggers with moustache. If you scroll down, there's a comment and he links to it in, in the trackbacks. It's, it's a guy that has started up a group of people that are bloggers that are, have mustaches. I'm in there. Doc Searles is in there. Um, a number of fellow, and that's I think that's pretty interesting. 
but I'm going to get through then, it. PDC, then, definitely. We need a birds of the feather at the PDC. We can have, like, you know, <laughs> the <stashes laughs> developers. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, you said that was pretty interesting. <laughs> what did I say was pretty interesting? <laughs> the fact that there's a group of bloggers with mustaches and they uh, hang out together. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, maybe. I don't know. I'm, gonna, I, I'm thinking I'm going to cut it off. I, uh, <laughs> I, but, you know, I, I think it's give up your membership change. in that exclusive blogging club. That exclusive blogging club, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Another guy says, hey, I've had one for 20 years, too, and I'm trying to make the decision. Thanks. For, let me know how you make out. And he's going to shave his off if I do it as well, too. Um, oh, that's, a, that's some serious baggage there. <laughs> yeah. It's, but, uh, it's, but, but if it doesn't work out, Jeff, would you tell him that, or would you say, yeah, cut it off? Well, I tell him to grow it back again. It's facial hair. Um, but what are some of the interesting comments? Uh, Heather, she wrote something I think that was pretty interesting. Well, we should kick uh, it up a notch and ask anyone who wants to leave a comment for Jeff to go to shrinkster.com slash 44P, and uh, you can add a comment and, and vote yay or nay. And uh, we, you should definitely wait uh, before you shave it uh, to, to hear what the .NET Rocks audience uh, thinks about this very important issue. Yeah, uh, Heather just told me to shave it or grow a goatee and thin it out just a bit. I'd also cut your hair a bit shorter, like Anderson Cooper, and it will make you look younger. Um, you know, a lot mm. of different ones in mm. here. So, you've not shaved since you were sixteen. Your mustache? I have not shaved my mustache off since I was sixteen. I think uh, oh. a number of years ago I had a goatee as well, and I decided to shave that off, and I just left the mustache. Obviously, you're going to way too tame at parties. When the village people <laughs> were popular, you had a mustache. Is that what you're saying? When the village, oh gosh! When the village people were popular, I was in, I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> I did not. I, I I was probably pretending to grow a mustache back then, but no. Okay. You say you haven't cut it off uh, since then, but have you at least you know trimmed it, or is this yes, the same I, I mustache? Have my mustache. <laughs> or I, 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 otherwise, I'd have a beard. I think it wouldn't be a. I'd look like the guys off of ZZ Top. The Fu Manchu, yeah. <laughs> All so right. no, I I don't know. I I I think it's time to shave it off. I think uh, you know it's it's time for a little bit of difference. What if you get like uh, you know half of the pe- exactly half of the people say keep it on and exactly half say shave it off? What do you do then? I'm thinking I'm just going to shave off half of it anyway. Just say, <laughs> hey, I couldn't make up my mind. You know, Jeff, I think what we should do is that at the PDC, right after Bill's keynote, you should come up on stage and we should shave it on stage. That there you go. Riveting content. I, you know, we will do a little campaign so everyone knows what the heck you're doing out there, you know, in advance. And, and so after when Bill leaves the stage, you know, they won't all file out. But um, you know, you'll be up there. Bill will walk off. You'll shake hands, and uh, on, you know, he'll be off. You'll be walking on. Well, I, I don't know why you wouldn't try to talk Bill into shaving off Jeff's mustache go. on stage. Now you're talking. Bill could. <laughs> that's that would be an accomplishment. <laughs> There we go. All right. Well, if I could bring the uh, conversation back to Indigo for a minute. Um, although I'd love to talk about your mustache for the rest of the show. That'd be cool. Now, now you're freaking me out. Yeah. All right. I really wouldn't. All right. I'm sorry. I'm just being polite there, man. Um, so somebody, I think it was uh, uh, Carter, just posted a link to uh, uh, a video uh, that Ari Bixhorn and Eric Rudder did on Indigo. Right. right. Just because I thought it was a great illustration of Indigo when Carson was talking about the simplicity of just kind of decorating code with attributes that change the behavior of it. You know, you, I know you were asking about configuration right. tools and things, but even just in Notepad, which is what the demo is using, you see how simple it is to add things to the way that the messaging is happening. It's a, it's a great video to check out. Let me just give you the URL. It's shrinkster.com slash 44Q. <laughs> 
if you hadn't noticed, we use Shrinkster.com. We use Shrinkster.com so much that when you go to Shrinkster, they actually have a .NET Rocks uh, link to us and, and, and a Monday's link. And those are two out of three. So they really, really like us. I guess we drive a lot of but uh, so this was uh, a talk uh, keynote given at um, at VS Live, yeah, I guess. Right, right, and it's a it's a scenario that's similar to the one that we did at PDC around uh, devices that are hooked up to monitors, and this one is based on a lot of work that we're doing with partners exploring how you take things like real time CPU monitoring and extend that outside of the walls of a hospital, so that you can have kind of expertise drawn from a wide geographical area. So. You know, you could be a regional rural hospital and still have expert John Hopkins doctors, you know, taking a look at you. So really cool stuff that the messaging enables, and it's depicted in that demo. Getting back to the code for a second, um, you, are, you, are you guys trying to make it so that you can just have generic code working with objects as if they were just regular in-memory objects and uh, and then just wave some attributes and some config stuff around and suddenly they're remote and everything just works? Um, is that the, the plan, or do you actually have to code for it? For I think the plan uh, from, from really that this is true of both Avalon and Indigo is to allow you to get as close as you want or, as, um, or to be abstracted as much as you want. And the, the thing that strikes me the more, the more I look at these two platforms, both of them, is that they, they truly are platforms. In the sense that that these are these are both technologies that we we aren't pigeonholing developers, we aren't providing you with some sure. some features that you use, sure. but we're truly providing this these these deep, deep platforms that we're not really sure what how people could potentially use them. We don't know yeah. what the UI possibilities are with Avalon. We're not prescripting um, a way for you. To to right. have a server talk to a client or right. a client talk to a client or a server talk to a server. But we're providing this kind of deep, deep infrastructure, really well-thought-out infrastructure yeah. for you to either, you know, take over the, the you know, the plane yourself or to, to let some of the plane go on autopilot and, and take advantage of a lot of work that we've done. That's a really um, great I was just looking at a, an internal um, site that, that did some analysis purely on the, the .NET assemblies that, that we're shipping. And, you know, you look at Avalon Indigo, there's something like, in com- combination, 2,700 new types, new CLR types, and something wow. when you add up the, the methods, the events, the properties, you know, something like 24,000 wow. um, oh, new man. methods, types, and, you know, uh, properties, events, and whatnot. So these are deep, rich platforms, again, where... You have the power to to do a ton, and we're, we're just really excited to to give this platform, put this platform in the hands of developers, and let them innovate, let them create things. You look back to something like the Win32 API and and Windows95, where people have just done amazing things that right. uh, that we could have never even you know imagined, and right, and that's right. what these platforms are about: is to really empower people to do things um, productively and 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 you know. Great things on our platform. Yeah, I like that SWAT the Penguin game. That was brilliant. That was really <laughs> <laughs> just, just to be explicit about one thing though. This yeah. is uh, Chris. Uh, is uh, the the way that you specify the data that flows between the two sides of a of a of a service between the between two services yeah. is explicit, right? That's actually one okay. of the tenets of service orientation is that boundaries are explicit. Yeah. So you know if you're sending data All across right. the wire. That's good. 
Um, and so basically there's, you know, a service contract and a data contract that specify how you per- permit data. And then you take the schema and you share that between the two sides of the service, not yeah. the implementation of that code. And so you really only have to agree on the schema across the wire to share the, share the data with two sides of the service. Yeah. And then there's policy, of course. Yeah, there's lots of, I mean, the policy-based uh, uh, compatibility to determine, you know, one side says, I want this kind of security, I want this kind of encryption. The other side says, well, I support these ones. And they kind of do a little handshake and figure out what the right path is to go between the two pieces. You know, that brings up a really good, uh, really good tangent here, which is SOA, service-oriented architecture. When I'm, when I'm talking to people, user groups, classes, wherever, a group of, group of programmers, and I say, how many people have heard of SOA? You know, I get a few hands that go up. And you guys have obviously thought about this quite a lot in, in Indigo. What are your thoughts about that? You know, what, what are, is this a, something that we're actually absolutely going to have to go in this direction if we're going to be uh, developing the software of tomorrow? Or is this like an option? I mean, I think part of what we were talking about before is, are you aware of object location? Are you aware of what data is passing? All All of these things that we ran into as problems in the early days of languages like Smalltalk or with COM and trying to make that into DCOM. I think just the scenarios that everybody wants to pursue require that service-oriented model. You can't do it architecturally without having those boundaries explicit, like Chris was saying, the contracts explicit. Right. Uh, so it's kind of regardless of whether you are kind of doing consultant speak on how to do an SOA enterprise, it just fundamentally that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, see, see, I, I personally, I've I've been really turned off on the SOA statement because it makes it imply that there's actually this magic thing right. that you can be right I to agree. be service oriented, and it just service orientation is is more like what aspects of service orientation do you use to build your modular system? Yeah. Right. I mean, if you think about it, was, it was funny. I was having a, uh, I was talking with some uh, folks on a different team, and they were describing the system they had, and they were call- they were using all sorts of different names about the, you know, the modular part of this and this thing and this thing. And I started breaking it down and asking them questions about, well, who knows about which and which portions of your application are shared. And when you, you know, when I got down to it, it was like basically they were doing all of the aspects of service orientation. But they were doing it in a completely different way than you know most people would do. But it's really this notion of when you start breaking down a system into components, into modular pieces, and you need some form of isolation between them. You know, service orientation and taking aspects of service orientation into your application, I think, is just kind of the logical way to go. And you know, this is the thing that you know books like Design Patterns and 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 you right. know lots of the kind of uh, uh, systems out there really kind of follow this today already. It's, yeah. I agree. It's kind of like people coming up to you as a Visual Basic developer and say, hey, do you know about View Model Controller? And you're like, well, no, because you've been using it, you know, the whole time. You know, it's like it's like uh, something that is just inherently architecturally. Archi- yeah, it's, um, it's, the it's, it's interesting. I, I uh, MVC, the model view controller stuff, is uh, something near and dear to my heart, right? So in Avalon, we we spent a huge amount of time thinking about how to do rich data visualization, how to take you know these messages or whatever you get from somewhere and try to display them. And logically, the thing we, we knew that we needed to do was this separation of the display from the data from the controls, so that we could you know let people do this kind of very dynamic and very rich UI. And the the alternatives out there right now, most of the people who implement this do this very very heavyweight kind of in your face MVC model. And we sat back and basically just kept 
hammering on it. How can we simplify it? How can we make it be very transparent to the developer? We want that kind of VB model where you build stuff using data binding and, and things like that without ever having to really understand that under the covers, there's this rich separation that you can leverage if you need it. Let's uh, change gears a little bit here. I wanted to talk about XAML and uh, just see where the state of that is in uh, all the development. XAML's good. XAML good. <laughs> we like it. XAML good. Is there a standard that we've agreed on yet that we're sticking to? Uh, well, so we're still developing the, the XAML kind of, there are two halves to XAML, right? There's XAML, the language specification, which is a, you know, I like to think of it as a XML CLR binding, right? How do you take a bunch of, X, of CLR objects in memory? How do you represent those in markup? How do you take their properties? How do you build the relationships between those objects? And, and so there's this language aspect of the XAML spec. And then there is all the Avalon types, all the rich components that really give you, that do all the runtime, the look, and then those can be persisted into XAML. So the yeah. XAML language spec, when you pick up the Mark CTP build, mm. there's a huge number of changes to how XAML the language works, as well as a lot of changes to the Avalon object model, which manifests itself in the markup. And so we're still actively developing it. We uh, There will be more changes to the spec after the March CTP build, and there will be... Um, so we're just moving forward on that. Cool. And, you know, people have often asked, and I know I often get people ask me um, about uh, the schema for XAML, and people often seem to uh, think that we, we're going to have like a, an XSD that, that is, is the canonical representation of everything you could possibly put in a, right. in a XAML document. And, and Chris kind of nailed it when he, he highlighted that, that XAML is just a mechanism to represent objects. So right. if you think of uh, how we do Windows Forms design today, uh, you know, you go into Visual Studio, you drag some stuff on with the designer, and it produces this huge bunch of stuff hidden away in a region uh, with, with big kind of warning signs, you know, in kind of bold letters. Don't edit this stuff. Don't go there. This is uh, full of dragons. And if you touch this, then you're on your own. Visual Studio may, may dump you like a... Uh, a used uh, piece of something. So, so, so XAML is, is really a bit of an approach to try and make that designer experience a lot uh, more straightforward and a lot uh, more accessible to other uh, environments. So with XAML, basically what you're doing is you're representing that construction of a bunch of objects and the properties that go within those objects just in an XML format, which just makes it a little bit more compact for starters. But because it, you can... It's always been text, so now you're just tagging it as well. In the, like in an FRM file, for example. Yeah, that's right. And of course, that means that uh, you know, you, it's very toolable. You can uh, load it up with, with any editor that can uh, parse XML and uh, programmatically uh, manipulate it or work with it uh, uh, in, a, in a way that you choose. So the general kind of focus of XAML in that, that way is to enable you to, to create any kind of object you like. And, of course, it might be a custom control you've created. It might be uh, uh, something you've, you've, you've installed that, uh, that provides a control that you can embed in your object. So the, the very notion of an XSD for every uh, element you might put in, in, in XAML is to a certain extent uh, redundant. The, the, there's a, uh, actually a, a namespace for XAML, and there's, there's a definition of the, the basic structure of XAML. But, but fundamentally, you could, the... the uh, schema that, that canonically represented a XAML document would pretty much be um, the same as the schema for an XML document. You know, there's, there's almost no end to what you could put there in terms of the tags themselves. Well, actually, the other... we, we are thinking of shipping a schema for XAML, and it'll basically be a root element that will say XSD colon any. <laughs> <laughs> I was just actually thinking exactly that. It's also considering the idea that you might uh, create templates around what 
subsections of XAML you want to use or so, uh, for a given application or perhaps some rules on uh, what uh, controls go together and so on. But that would be a, a subset. Yeah, I think you're never going to see the full potential until we get a version of Studio that uh, works with it as well as uh, we expect Studio to work. The other thing, you know, is that uh, the way that it's designed to operate is, is as, as I mentioned, in this kind of toolable, um, editable fashion. And, and uh, the, the, the structure is such that uh, you can really separate out the, the code that, uh, that uh, handles events and things like that uh, away from the actual design of the object, just like with uh, something like ASP.NET. So well, the long term... I always like to compare it more to the uh, VBFRM files, which I think Carl's familiar with. Uh-huh. There's actually we we've, we've been doing declarative UI for a really long time in our platform, and VBRFRM files they actually had this separation, and ASP.NET's doing it also, and we're doing it also. I mean it's it's this idea that's been around for a really really long time of the separation between the view and the just that you didn't want us so. writing it before writing FRM files with Notepad before. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, most people don't. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't make it a good idea. <laughs> but you, you almost almost get the sense that there's going to be a conjunction here where XAML is going to be a platform language tool set agnostic way to describe a UI. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how you interpret that word agnostically, but certainly in terms of providing designers with, with a great environment to, to build, uh, uh, you know, punchy user interfaces, that, that, that the idea that, uh, you know, a, a designer could work on the XAML file and could, uh, you know, work out a linear gradient brush and define um, uh, the various different structures and elements and, and make a really pretty interface, and then uh, a developer can, can, can come alongside and, and work on the code that sits behind that, it really starts to define this, this new whole role. And, and for me, that's the real promise of Avalon, the ability to create these really rich, exciting new user interfaces, things that uh, would be really hard to do in, in uh, today's technology and binding together 3D and animation. Uh, you know, you can build these really tactile kind of experiences. Uh, one of the demos that we've been playing around with internally at the moment is uh, uh, basically just modeling a CD case. And, you know, you go somewhere like Amazon today and uh, really you're, you're just clicking backwards and forwards between fairly static pages. Wouldn't it be neat if you could uh, really almost browse a shelf in kind of virtual uh, real time and you could just pick out a CD by clicking on, on, on the, the side of the CD and the CD kind of pops out in 3D and you could open it and you could, you could click on it and you could, you could uh, see the, the track listing by spinning the case around and you could open it up and look at the cover art on the CD itself. It's that kind of really different user experience that I think makes XAML so exciting because you can build these kind of things that you would just never be able to do without writing a shed load of direct X code today. Yeah, I mean, the idea of being able to have a CD case that I can open and move that looks right and has all the art on it and so forth, which you can do today. It's just Amazon wouldn't do it. It's too much load. You'd be shifting bitmaps back and forth by the ton to make that happen. To come up with a, a language that describes that a little more easily and then the rendering naturally happens on the client anyway uh, is a better solution and it offers a lot of possibility. There was also a great uh, demo you showed at the PDC about uh, that used Macromedia. I think it was uh, Flash or Director or maybe even – I can't remember what it was. But there was some Adobe really, After really – yeah, yeah, Adobe After Effects. Yeah, really intense stuff going on with video. It was like a real-time uh, – audio monitoring thing or video. I can't remember. What was it? It, it was real-time well, stock quotes, all stylized. Stock quotes, yeah. yeah. But I think the point that that demo was making that we haven't 
brought out as strongly is the fact of XAML being toolable is 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 less we expect designers to go be hacking XML than we expect the tools that designers know and love, like Adobe products, like what any product might be. They stay in that tool, and then their tool just provides a plug-in that emits that XAML code. And so, because, you know, tools are very capable of emitting some type of declarative format like XAML. So so that's really where we see things going, is developers staying in the tools they know and love, creating really great UI, and then just handing that off to the developer to wire up. So you don't have this sort of lossy experience where the designer creates this really great UI in a tool like Photoshop, and they hand it off to the developer, and the developer says, what? You want me to right. build that? Forget yeah. it. Or yeah. even that it's, it's just that it's impossible to build it, you know, in the in those in, you laid out in, in Adobe and in, the, in, the, in Photoshop today, and you just have no idea, you know, what are the bounds uh, that that you, you have to live within. Yeah, what are the active parts of that uh, set of images? Right. So we want to really happen? empower the designer to, to to own his piece instead of getting this this really lossy experience. And I think you know my experience dealing with large web architectures as well as it's one thing to create the UI, hand it to a developer, and have him code it. But then when the UI needs to be updated to be able to hand that now code-laden UI back to the art guy and have any hope of it surviving in any useful form, and properly encapsulating the separation is going to facilitate that iterative process that's going to go on as apps last some time. Well, yeah, it's a, just a great point. It really is. Uh, there's a really one-way street right now but in the, in the kind of development flow, and what we're trying to do is make it a two-way street. So well, it just go goes back and forth. I would go a step further, which is I, I think it's more than just the two-way street. It's more than just that developer-designer thing. But, you know, sometimes I think that when we describe and when we talk about designers, we don't really give, in some ways, give them the credit that they deserve because what they really are doing is they're building your user experience and being able to give them tools that let them directly edit and manipulate that user experience without having to go through this pipeline of a developer really enables right. them to be way more effective at their job, right? Absolutely. You know, you talk to designers and they talk about things like, well, I'm not quite sure if this design is going to work. I really have to get it built to see how it's going to work, to see if it's going to be intuitive to the user, if it's going to feel the right way, if it's going to give that, you know, that tactile feedback the right, in, the, in the right way. And now they can just build it and do it themselves. They don't have to necessarily always, you know, kind of rely on this developer to convert their Photoshop into a live thing so that they can then turn around and say, oh, no, actually I was wrong. I, 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 it shouldn't look like that. It's almost like we could get to the point where the developer could sit down, give him a bunch of tools, say, here are the functions that we ultimately need to do. Now, go stick a UI on this and do what you want. Exactly. Work the other direction. Mm-hmm. That's uh, going to be a strange day, very different from where we are right now. The other thing that's kind of interesting that we've been thinking about a lot is that you know, there is we've been sort of speaking almost in a binary case of there's designers and there's developers. And, and in some shops, that's true, but more and more today we see, you know, the designer that can do a little bit more scripting, a little bit more interactivity, and you see the developer that cares a little bit more about how their app looks, and there starts to be a blur, and I think Avalon also really hits that sweet spot as well where, where we're, 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 we see it as a gradient. Yeah, I think you're exactly right that people are becoming more savvy. There's different levels of things, and, and there's more and more you want to push into different categories and split skill sets up. And so tools that will facilitate creating those new delineations are really going to make a difference. 
Um, we're going to get close to the end of the show here. I know there's one question on a lot of people's minds, which is, uh, what are we going to see in uh, the next PDC coming up there, Steve? Well, uh, let's see. Let me, let me do the, the short plug. The next PDC is the week of uh, September 12th. Um, this, this time it will start on a Tuesday, September 13th, but we'll have uh, one or two days of pre-cons, maybe Sunday and then Monday, uh, September 12th. Lots and lots of details on, on Avalon, Indigo, uh, Longhorn. Longhorn has other APIs besides the ones we've just been talking about. Some uh, APIs are built into Longhorn. Uh, a bit about Longhorn Server and a, and a bunch of other things that we're not really ready to talk about right now. But it'll be sort of what you, you know, we... I think we all had a lot of fun at the last PDC. Yeah. We did some things differently, and um, we tried out some. You know, we did some experimentation, tried out some new things, and we're going to be, you know, trying a bit of that as well this time. Um, you know, last time we had the uh, birds of a feathers, uh, birds, birds of a feather, birds of a feather. Uh, Karsten ran that last time. It was really the first time we had done anything like that at Microsoft conference. We had and went very well, as I understand. Yeah, yeah and I, I think Karsten, you had you had fun doing that, right? Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, so you signed up again? Power to the people. <laughs> <laughs> so the Birds of Feather were kind of new, and, you know, we, we had fun doing that and think it worked out. We did the, the, on the fourth day, we did the panels and the security symposium and the architecture symposium. You know, those were experiments. We got some good feedback on that. Mm-hmm. We'll be looking for more feedback on it. But the, the main thing about the PDC will be the same as before, which is really deep dives on stuff that's coming down the road um, and, you know, the kind of things we've been talking about here. Just imagine... You know, lots of sessions about all this stuff. Uh, we'll be handing out as much code as we can. I was going to say, you're going to try to do the typical synchronize a drop to the PDC? Kind yeah, of? I mean, we have an, an internal rule on the PDC team, no bits, no glory. So if you want to you know, talk at the PDC, you've got to hand out bits. If you're a product team and you want to go deep on your stuff, if you want more than one breakout, you've got to give us bits to give to attendees. Well, that's what attendees want. They want to come home with code. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the the... The CTP thing, since the last EDC, Microsoft has gotten into the swing of CTPs. It's been a big part of of, uh, of Widby. It's been a big part of, it will be a big part of Avalon and Indigo. And so, you know, the the community thing has lived on past the PDC. And so the PDC is kind of becoming, it, it will be, at a, there will be other reasons to go to the PDC besides just to get bits is really what I'm trying to so, Steve. Yeah, well, it's a good chance to actually meet all of you guys and talk to you and see what you, you're, you're doing and maybe actually leak some new stuff. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then see if Jeff shaved or not. Yeah, or maybe half. And which half, Jeff? Which half? Maybe I'll have to shave my hair by the time we get to PDC. I don't know. <laughs> well, I have, I have an important, important question about the next PDC, which is, you know, this last PDC, we saw a major milestone for Microsoft, which was vice presidents coding on stage. So, Steve, <laughs> what can we do at the next PDC to top... Can I? Uh, I have I have a suggestion, and it's actually a fantasy of mine. Can I indulge you guys for a minute? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So here's here's the PDC. So it's time for the you know the opening, and the lights go down, and you hear Jeff go. The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks at blah 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 blah. <laughs> then the music starts. Then Richard and I come out and work the crowd into a frothing fervor. <laughs> And then introduce Bill Gates and walk off. What do you think? Is that a great idea? And then and then Bill and then Bill codes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, and yeah. Bill and Bill's got a laptop under his arm. Pops it up and says, "Watch this." <laughs> <laughs> a frothing frenzy. Yeah, you like that fervor? I think was the word. That's, that's what Carl's is good at. He he causes frenzy wherever he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took some notes. I'll get back to you. Okay. <laughs> Hey, the .NET Rocks uh, boff was fantastic. It's yeah, it was. Yeah, that was. 
yeah, and we, then Carl and I have already talked a bit about, you know, can we do that again? And Yeah, we definitely. Uh, and and uh, I just wonder how much of Jeff can we shave, you know? <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, ah, the shave Jeff booth. Now you're talking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's got to be some sort of for... connecting it to the number of the ships uh, and slippages. You know, every month we slip uh, Longhorn, then Jeff uh, shaves another inch off. Shave more of Jeff. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I think that Chris has some accountability on that. We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. That has to come from the product team. So we look forward to you know seeing you all at the next VDC. And we'll, we'll be you know, putting more news out on the official site, and we'll, you'll see people blogging about what they're going to be talking about. We're, we're pretty psyched about it. Well, I have something to end with, um, uh, which I want to ask each of you. What is the coolest thing you've seen on the web or tools or at Microsoft in the last week? Jeff, what's the coolest thing you've seen in the last week? Um, team system, baby. It's uh, going to be awesome as a product. And uh, just, you know, we're um, gearing up to ship something pretty amazing. And, and every time I see demos and stuff around team system, I'm just blown away. I, I want it now. Yeah, we need to do a VSTS show, no question. Well, we will. We have one. We'll in do the, it. We'll do it. We have one. Chris, what, what's the coolest thing you saw this week? Um, I have to say uh, some of the new March CTP-based demos for uh, basically Avalon that are combining all the platform technologies. Just our, our, you know, uh, Tim mentioned some of the 3D stuff that we're doing with the, you know, the CD demo and things like that. And it's just it's uh, amazing stuff, and I can't wait to start posting some of it to my blog. So basically that's uh, – I think the, the most amazing thing is the stuff that I'm going to post this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, Steve, how about you, Steve? Well, you know, I was going to mention that uh, with the Steve Fawcett, he flew around the world solo. I thought that was pretty cool. But then everyone else talked about the stuff they're working on. So uh, <laughs> let me get back to you. <laughs> yeah, don't no, say the, Martha the PDC Stewart. The stuff is, is a lot of what I've been thinking about these days. And, you know, it's not been – some of the things we've been talking about, we've been thinking about blogging. I, I've started a blog, although I haven't been that uh, rigorous in writing to it. But uh, definitely we're, we're thinking about all these things at the PDC about – you know, the basic stuff, the basic content that we're really excited to be talking about, and then all the other stuff that um, you know, makes it a big event. So that's really it's all, all that's in my mind these days. You're Mr. PDC. Yeah. Carter, how about you? You know, it, I've had no visible excitement. It's all been... <laughs> it's, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tell us about the most exciting <laughs> meeting you've had this week, Carter. Yeah. I'll, all, I've Carter. Been, <laughs> all I've been doing is logistics this week. Uh, we're just getting ready for the beta two Widby stuff and it's just been logistics, 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 nothing nothing to nothing to report. And have you seen any cool toys or anything? Um, well yeah. I mean there's a cool toy that I use that's actually Avalon based. I use it every single day. It's a it's a app that lets you visualize the entire uh, active directory. So, you know, you're trying to figure out uh, which group you're talking to on the phone, and you can easily just drill up into the hierarchy and see kind of bubbles in 3D as they... Hey, I saw out. that. It's very, very cool. I use it every day. I saw that. That's NASA Derwind, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> AD Wind. Right, right. right. <laughs> okay. It's a cool Avalon app. Maybe Karsten or Tim will get it out as part of... Yeah, we're hoping to get it on Channel 9 here soon. Cool. Oh, good. Awesome. How about you, Karsten? Uh, the latest thing I've seen, this is Karsten. So I just installed the SDK for the March CTP that has all the Avalon and Indigo um, uh, documentation and samples. But the coolest thing is if you go to, uh, if you have to kind of navigate to it on the, the, the hierarchy, but there's a single zip file where you can install every single sample that Avalon and Indigo has, and boom, every sample is right at your fingertips to run. And it's just really cool to see. Awesome. So I would, I would check that out. 
I was excited when I found the zip file, so you don't have to, you know, install each sample individually. Yeah. Okay, Sir Tim, how about you? Um, well, I think the um, the coolest thing I came across actually this week wasn't uh, wasn't a Microsoft thing, but it was uh, uh, this uh, 3D desktop replacement. I don't know if any of you guys have seen uh, Sphere XP. Um, it's just so cool. It basically uh, is something that just uh, takes over your Windows XP desktop and uh, uh, it, 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 it turns your windows, instead of being just flat 2D objects, it turns them onto 3D um, uh, entities that uh, reside somewhere within a sphere, on your, a, a virtual sphere on your screen. And you just basically sort of drag them around. You can uh, change the Z order. You can move them forward, backwards. You can put them behind you. It's kind of, you know, that kind of minority report kind of thing where, where uh, uh, Tom... Uh, uh, was it Tom Cruise? I'm losing yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm well known for not knowing much about movies, but, but that kind of moving the windows around—it's it's just very, very neat. So uh, I actually did install that a couple of weeks ago, and it would have been cool if I could actually use the windows while they were in 3D. But you yeah, can't do that. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's what happens when you try to write something, I guess, that sits outside of the shell itself. But, right. Uh, so, but apparently, a bit of a flavor of what you can do with a with a 3D user interface. So yeah. uh, that's why I thought it was cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, guys, it's been a fun show. Thanks for uh, thanks for checking in with us. And um, thanks for having us. Yep. Oh, it's always fun. Thank you. And always thanks fun. for finally having me, Carl. Yes, and Chris, maybe you can come back and do your own show sometime, sometime in the future. Well, listen. On behalf of myself, Jeff Maciela, and the sound room, Rich Campbell in Vancouver, British Columbia, all the fans in the chat room, all you guys at Microsoft, keep doing what you do. We love you. Talk to you later. Time, boy. Life is hard.